Yuck. <laughs> that gave me the ick. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing part two of chapter 10, Homecoming. So the last we left off, Althea had just gotten in from uh, in from her time on Ophelia, went to Bingtown and discovered a party being thrown and got the news dump from her mother of everything that has been going on. She tried desperately to convince her mother to take part of the Tanira's plights and the plights of all the old traders in Bingtown in regards to the satraps control and the tax docks and the Chelsea ships. And her mother is just saying family first. I don't have control of the vote. That's Kefria's job now. And also I have to make sure that our family stays afloat in all of this. Right. She also talks about how it's only one vote anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Well, yes, but it's a brief comment and seems kind of guilty as she's saying it. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> she's trying to convince herself, I think. And so Althea heads out of the house back down to uh, to Tanira's ship, the Ophelia, and also has one other person to visit. And then she will be back at the Vestrit mansion before next morning. Yes. Also, we should mention she is dressed as Athel, the ship's yes. boy, and not Althea in women's clothing. And so as she walks from the Vestrid household, she passes several other of the old trader houses. And I think as we mentioned the last episode as well, they're also not looking very good. They have evidence of a pinched purse in terms of many houses aren't spending money on frivolous things such as appearance. They're all kind of feeling the weight of the rising cost of living and the lack of profits from their typical ventures. Yeah, and this is something that she doesn't really notice until this point because prior to this, she was so worried about her own problems and just so excited to be home that she wasn't really looking at her surroundings. And so as she's taking the time to walk back and think about what her mother said and think about all the changes that have happened since she's been gone, she can really take in that it's not just her family. They're not the only ones that the change is happening to. And she heads down into Bingtown and recognizes or doesn't recognize a lot of people and sees a lot of unfamiliar folk. And not just that she's been away and hasn't really been around her neighbors and friends, but there are young people from Jamalia dressed with swords. And it just, the whole atmosphere has changed around Bingtown from what Althea notices. Right. Like the fashions have even changed. The Jamalian people that are clearly Jamalian are dressing almost Chalcedian and the women's outfits are a little bit more revealing than she's used to. It's just a whole different world. It doesn't really feel like home. You really get a sense of otherness here. Yeah. And she says that there's a second class of unfamiliar people and those people are bearing that tattoos of slavery next to their noses. Their furtive demeanor said they wished nothing so much as to be unnoticed. The number of menial servants in Bingtown had multiplied. They carried packages and held horses. 
One young boy followed two girls little older than himself, endeavoring to hold a parasol over both of them to shield them from the gentle spring sunlight. When the younger of the girls cuffed him and rebuked him sharply for not holding the sunshade steady, Althea repressed an urge to slap her. The boy was far too young to cower so deferentially. He walked barefoot on the cold cobblestones. It could break your heart if you let it. But those two have been schooled not to have hearts at all. Althea started at the low voice so close to her ear. She spun to find Amber a step behind her. Their eyes met, and Amber raised one knowing eyebrow. In a haughty tone, she off offered, I'll give you a copper, sailor boy, if you'll carry this wood for me. Pleased to oblige, Althea replied and bobbed her head in a sailor's bow. She took the large chunk of ruddy wood from Amber's arms and instantly found it much heavier than she had supposed. As she hefted it to a more secure grip, she caught the merriment in her friend's topaz eyes. She fell into a deferential step two paces behind Amber and followed her through the market to the Rainwild Street. So we meet Amber, or rather, Amber finds Althea mm -hmm. in Ethel's garb. And yeah, Althea can notice the change here in Bingtown and the coming and kind of the normalcy that slaves have. Right, yeah. I think this is something that has been a little bit touched on by Ronica in previous chapters. Yeah. About how it's heartbreaking to see people treat their servants, slave or not, in this manner, or just treat people in general in this way, but yet nobody does anything, and so it's been allowed to become normalized. Like, sure, some people at first were thinking, oh, how dare they? That's so uncivilized and wrong. But they weren't stopping those people from doing it. And so the quieter they got, the more it became normal. And right. here we have Althea seeing it. And interestingly, even though this is not something Althea is used to or agrees with, she also does not step forward and say something. And I get she is dressed like a 12-year-old boy at this time, so realistically would it have that big of an impact of a 12 year old boy steps forward and says, Hey, don't do that. But still, I think it is really interesting that while she is mad enough to quote slap that girl, she doesn't say anything. She just thinks it. Right. I mean, she did just come from a conversation with Ronica who said, please don't bring attention to yourself at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it was that her promise of just seeing her mom, but yeah, you're right. She doesn't. I just thought it was interesting that there was no talk of instinct to go talk to the person or like, I wish I could say something. It was just like, oh, I could almost slap that girl for doing that. But clearly not like right. she's actually going to actively <laughs> slap a person. I don't know. It was just interesting. So Amber leaves Althea through Bingtown Market towards Rainwild Street and Althea notes changes here as well. Previously, when he walked down the street, all the stores were all wide open windows. They had tables out front where you could peruse the wares. And now there are guards on the doors. Windows are barred and you can see merchandise through the windows only. There's no tables out front and you have to be, you have to go into the shop basically. Right. So things have changed and the attitude and the seeming safety of this place has changed. Seems to be fear of theft. Even Amber's shop had a guard outside the latch door. 
The young woman at her door wore a leather doublet and nonchalantly juggled two truncheons and a sap as she waited for her mistress to open up. She had long blonde hair caught back in a tail. She gave Althea a toothy smile. Althea edged past her uncomfortably. A large cat might so appraise a fat rodent. "'Wait outside, Jack. I'm not ready to open the store yet,' Amber told her succinctly. "'Whatever your pleasure, mistress,' Jack replied. Her tongue was a strange foreign, had a strange foreign twist on the words. She shot Althea one speculative glance as she carefully backed out the door and closed it behind her. "'Where did you find her?' Althea asked incredulously. "'She's an old friend. She's going to be disappointed when she discovers you're a woman. And she will. Nothing escapes Jack.' Not that there is any danger of her betraying your secret. She is as close-mouthed as can be. Sees all, tells nothing. The perfect servant. It's funny. I never imagined you having servants of any kind. It's my preference not to, but I'm afraid a guard for the shop became necessary. I decided to live elsewhere, and with the increase of burglary in Bingtown, I had to hire someone to watch my shop at night. Jack needed a place to live. The arrangement works wonderfully. So, quick question for you. Where did Amber meet Jack? Must have been in the castle, right? I guess. Bingtown? But... Or not Bingtown, at uh, um, Buckkeep. But Jack doesn't know who Fitz is. That's true. So, if Jack was from Buckkeep, she absolutely would know. Like, what yeah. Fitz looked like, at least. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I know that's like one of the big things in the next, in the Tawny Man trilogy is Jack saying, oh, it looks, I, I don't know. Jack makes some comment. Right. And it's like, oh, so Jack doesn't know who Fitz is. And I don't, I don't know. I just, something odd. I, I just don't know when they would have met, I guess, between last book and this book, the start. It hasn't been that much time, right? It's yeah, like four or five years. Yeah. So I don't know that that's long enough to call somebody an old friend. Although I guess, no, because Jack's not from the mountains, right? Jack is no. from. Six touches. Yeah. I don't know. Jack's not the one who later fits in the like final series fits also. Or not Fitz, sorry. The Fool also says they thought Jack could be the one who had the son. That's not. No. That's somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Jack apparently is from Shokes, but I don't think there's much more on her, really. <laughs> right. I just want to know, where. when did they meet? Yeah. So they're entering the shop now. And... Amber does say, well, you do make a fetching youth. I can scarcely blame Jack for eyeing you. I am so glad to see you return unscathed. I have thought of you often and wondered how you fared. Come into the back. I'll make some tea and we can talk. And so Althea is saying, oh, yeah, I'd love that. But, you know, I don't quite have the time right now. I have to deliver a message. And I intended to do so even before you spotted me on the street. And... Amber's like, yeah, please find time for us to talk. It's very important because I need to know everything that you've been up to and have done. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which we know as rereaders that this is because 
Amber is beloved and beloved needs all the information they can get to kind of suss out the situation and see if the prophecy is coming true or if things are going the way that they had planned. Right. And so, yeah, there is this sense of, well, we'll plan something that I need to talk to you. And that's when Althea breaks in and says, actually, I need to talk to you. Um, I have a favor to ask. And Althea talks about how she was hoping she could get Amber to look at the hands of Ophelia because she had been burnt and she needs help. Yeah, and she wanted to talk to Captain Tanira beforehand, but kind of worked out in this favor, in this order, I guess. Right, yeah, (laughs) that maybe she could come along and they'll just convince him as they go. And this is news. So in telling Amber why Ophelia's hands have been hurt, she has to talk about the Chalcedian galley that came forward, and that really surprises Amber. She can't believe that a live ship would be challenged and is like, okay, I will help, but I also need to know everything. Give me time. I'm going to change. She stared past Althea as if looking into a different time and place. Her voice went strange. Fate rushes down upon us. The time drags and the days plod past, lulling us into thinking that the doom we fear will always so delay. Then, abruptly, the dark days we have all predicted are upon us, and the time when we could have turned dire fate aside has passed. How old must I be before I learn? There is no time. There is never any time. Tomorrow may never come, but today's are linked inexorably in a chain, and now is always the only time we have to divert disaster. Althea felt a sudden sense of vindication. This was the reaction she had hoped to get from her mother. Strange that it was a newcomer, and not even a Bingtown trader, who instantly grasped the full significance of her news. And so Amber says, as you mentioned, tell me everything of your travels, even those small things you consider unimportant, and goes behind a screen to change. Yeah, so do you think that this weird, like, way of talking about fates changing, do you think this is something to do with a prophecy that the fool is talking about? That, like, no, I, I don't know how to, I guess, ask the question better because we know that sometimes the fool says things that they don't mean to say because it's like driven by whatever it is to be a white. And so I guess whenever I saw that the fool or I'm sorry, Amber has this moment where she like suddenly says something really profound and kind of poetic in a weird tone. It made me wonder if this is a thing where like this happened at the exact right moment and made her. It, it could be, but the only thing it really says is that I shouldn't have wasted so much time we don't have much time and that's it. Yeah. Like that's all it really says. That's fair. So I guess it could be, but the only thing that it sparks is Althea feeling slightly vindicated <laughs> and that's it, you know? Yeah, that's fair. So I, I feel like it wouldn't be part of that kind of situation. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. So Amber is getting changed. She has some paints as well. She's doing up and she starts imploring Althea to tell her story starting now. 
And so she is starting to tell the story, and Althea says she had barely got past her first miserable months in Brashen's discovery of her before Amber emerged from behind the screen. But it was not Amber who stood before her. Instead, it was a smudge-faced slave girl. A tattoo sprawled across one wind-reddened cheek. A crusty sore encompassed half her upper lip and her left nostril. Her dirty hair was pulling free from a scruffy braid. So she looks very unbecoming (laughs) and beneath notice. Yeah. um, Amber makes comment that you would be surprised what a few well-placed sores will do to get people not to really pay attention to you. Especially as a woman alone on Bingtown streets. Right. So it's a really easy way to stay safe. And I think that's really interesting. And it is really cool to kind of get this moment to see how good it disguises Amber and for us readers, the fool beloved is. I think it's really cool just to know that they have that talent, I guess, just innately. But yeah, it's very convincing. Even Althea is surprised by it. Yeah. So in this scene, we have Althea somewhat confronting the horrors of slavery for the first time at least through her friend explaining it right it's not her firsthand like Wintrow or even kind of seeing it as often as Ronica has right Althea sees it a little bit in the market and then the fool or excuse me Amber has to explain to her she says I can go almost anywhere in the skies and be ignored. Even the men who would not hesitate to force themselves on a slave are put off by a bit of dirt and a few well-placed scabs. Have the streets of Bingtown become that dangerous for a woman alone? Amber shot her a look that was almost pitying. You see what is happening, and yet you do not see. Slaves are not women, Althea, nor men. They are merchandise, goods and property, things. Why should a slave owner care if one of his goods is raped? If she bears a child, he has another slave. If she does not, well, what is the harm done? That boy you were staring at. It costs his master nothing if he weeps himself to sleep every night. The bruises he has given cost his owner nothing. If he becomes sullen and intractable from poor treatment, he will simply be sold off to someone who treats him even worse. The bottom rungs of the ladder become very slippery once slavery is accepted. If a human's life can be measured in counted coins, then that worth can be diminished, a copper at a time, until no value is left. When an old woman is worth less than the food she eats, well, Amber sighed suddenly. As abruptly she straightened herself, no time for that, and gets ready to go. So this is Althea first kind of confronting what it actually means. Yes, it's very far away and like oh yeah slavery's bad right yeah and Althea knows that and Ronica knew that and everyone knew that Wintrow knew that and then as it slowly creeps into their world and nothing is really done about it besides like you said before just being like oh that's unsavory right it just is there and they have to confront the reality of it and this is Althea's kind of first little taste yeah it's really interesting I think so Althea noticeably doesn't call the boy a slave at any point. I think a lot of the other characters we see try to put that separation of humanity with right. like, those are slaves, they're not people. And Althea doesn't really do that. She 
does acknowledge that they have tattoos, which marks them as a slave, but still kind of gives them humanity. And so it's interesting to see that her coming to terms with what it actually, what a slave actually is, is coming from a place of her not quite grasping how people could not treat human beings like a human being. Like she just can't comprehend that depth of hatred and like vile behavior. Whereas with Wintro, he knew it was bad, but he was still kind of treating them as not quite people. Yeah. And he had to become a slave and see firsthand that knowledge and sort of live it to understand that there's still people. And actually this is awful. And obviously he's younger and it's a lot like there's different circumstances, but I think it's really interesting to, to think about that difference in character when we have Althea who is, older but also just as naive in a way right but she doesn't have the same outlook as somebody like wintro who actually was out in the world and knows the contradictions of saw and knows that people <laughs> can be bad i guess wintro was like treated super poorly so that also helps add to that level of like he understands people are evil and so he can more readily accept what slavery is i guess in a way that althea can't right yeah but yeah no there's only this really hard realization and really spelling out that slavery is bad and and it hurts more people than it helps so amber commands althea to leer at her like a nasty sailor and as she's doing so people kind of ignore them and leave them alone and give them bad looks but they have enough privacy where Althea can tell her story to Amber as they go on Amber is waiting to the end to ask questions even though she desperately wants to ask some questions (laughs) Althea notes right but when they get to the docks Amber stops her and says okay how are you going to introduce me to the ship and Althea's like well I have to introduce you to the captain first Make him agree, and then we can be introduced to the ship. I honestly don't know how friendly they will be to you or to the idea of someone not of Bingtown working on their ship. Trust me to handle them. I can be charming when it is required. Now, forward. Althea was unchallenged at the ship's ramp. She gave a furtive look around and then made a show of beckoning Amber forward. The two tariff guards in the dock spotted her immediately. One made a grimace of distaste while the other brayed out a knowing laugh. Neither one interfered as the ship's boy smuggled his doxy aboard. So the people on board obviously know Affle and right. recognize her. <laughs> and they give a little glance like, what's happening? But they're led towards the uh, captain's cabin. Right. There's, yeah, she can trick the dock people because they don't know better. But I definitely think that Captain Tanira's crew are gonna be talking about this like what was althea doing what is going on yeah Um, and that's kind of the first thing that greg says like who is this why did you bring them aboard like what's going on here actually it's uh captain tanira oh you're right who says that greg's looking out the windows and captain tanira says what's this i am not what i look sir amber replied before althea could utter a word Her voice was so genteelly modulated, her accent so pure that no one could have doubted her. Please excuse that I have come disguised, it seemed prudent. I've been a friend of Althea's for some time. She knows I can be trusted. 
She has told me of your encounter on your way here. I'm here not just to lend my support to your defiance of the tariffs, but to see if I can repair the damage that was done to Ophelia's hands. In one breath, she had smoothly stated everything that Althea would have stumbled over expressing. Then she stood quietly, hands clasped demurely in front of her, her spine straight, her eyes meeting theirs unashamedly. The two men exchanged a glance. The first words out of Captain Tanira's mouth shocked Althea. Do you really think that you can do something for Althea's hand, Ophelia's hands? It pains me to see her ashamed of their appearance. There was a depth of emotion in the man's voice when he spoke of his ship that touched Althea's soul. So I don't know why, but this encounter really makes me think about Ronica and Devad. Um, and when Devad came unexpectedly to try to get into the Cupris's graces. And I don't know what about it brings that like to mind, but I think it's because this is so different and it's friendships, right? So with Devad, he came unannounced like Amber did, like showed up unannounced. It wasn't something that w was planned on the Vestrit side. And then they are getting something out of this. So that like they're both being approached because Devad and Amber want something from the Vestrit women, but the way it happens and the way socially they interact with other people is so different. It's just like Amber wants the information to try to like figure out how best to move forward with the future to get dragons back. But she's also could be seen as getting an advantage by being able to carve a live ship in some way. Right. And like, this is something that's important. And she's also getting to stand up for the cause that she wants, which is like going against slavery. And so it's just this really interesting thing where she actually is personable and knows what to do. And even in this situation where she's dressed as a slave girl, she is able to make the most of the situation and adeptly speak in a way that even Althea herself would stumble over. And so then just thinking about how Devad, who obviously the situation is completely different and that's more of like a gain of monetary value for him personally. It's kind of interesting to see the two different Vestrit women in, in two different generations and how their friends act when they want something from right. their friend. Yeah. I don't know. So just a weird thought that I had. Odd tangent, I guess. Devad is just so tactless that... He knows there he, he knows there's no dual benefit there. It's only for him. But he's yeah. still gonna use that friendship and I don't think Amber well, no, Amber would do the same thing, but in this case there is dual benefit, I think. Yeah. I think Yeah, I think you're right. There is dual benefit, which probably also helps, but it just it makes me think again of like how awful of a person Devon is, and also like it's it's not that hard to be honest and upfront and I don't know, just like personable and Devad just doesn't care to learn how to do that. Well, he's honest and upfront, but personable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like he's, he's honest and upfront in like a slimy way somehow. I don't like, I don't even know how to explain. Robin he, Hobb does a great job of, of writing him. Yes. Because it's not even that he necessarily lies, but he's just so slimy that it's like, ugh. <laughs> Even I'm put off and I don't even have to like 
be in this man's presence, which I feel like would make it ten times worse. Yeah. So Amber replies to Captain Tanira, like, are you sure you think you can do something for this? And she's like, well, I, I don't know. I've never worked with Wizardwood before. The very density of it may have preserved her from taking deep harm. So I'm not sure, but I'll only know by inspecting it. And so Tanira is immediately like saying, hey, Althea, we got to wait on this. Let's go look at Ophelia's hands. That comes first. He also reassures her that it's not because he doesn't value what she has to say. It's just that Ophelia is more important. Like right. Ophelia comes first, like you Althea said. Althea agrees. Yeah. Yeah. And Althea, <laughs> I think that's really important that Althea says, of course she does. That's why I brought her. Like, obviously, this could have waited technically, but because Althea is also from a live ship family and has her own bond, she totally understands. Right. Like what's going on. So, yeah. That is so like you, Greg observed warmly. He was so bold as to touch Althea's hand. He sketched a bow towards Amber. Anyone that Althea calls friend, I am honored to know. It is the only credential you need with me. My son recalls me to my manners. Forgive me, lady. I am Captain and Bingtown trader Tomi Tanira of the live ship Ophelia. This is my son, Greg Tanira. Althea realized sharply that she did not know Amber's family name. But before she could stumble through that introduction, Amber spoke. I am Amber the Beadmaker, an artisan of Rainwild Street. I look forward to meeting your ship. And so, Captain Tanira leads the way. Althea talks about how Ophelia is really excited, or not excited, but very curious, clearly very curious and impatient to meet Amber and figure out what's going on. Why is this mm -hmm. strange person on her deck? She looked Amber up and down with a scandalized restraint that brought a grin to Althea's face despite herself. As soon as Amber's presence was explained, however, the ship showed no hesitation at turning to her and presenting her scorched hands for inspection. Do you think you can do anything for me? She asked gravely. And so we get a little description of Ophelia's hands. They are charred on the outside. There were tar tarry fireballs that had clung to her fingertips during that fight and had licked up the inside of Ophelia's left wrist. Her patrician hands looked like those of a scrub maid. Amber took one of her ship's large hands in both her own. She ran her gloved fingertips over the scorched surface lightly, then rubbed at it more firmly. Tell me if I hurt you, she added belatedly. Her brow was furrowed with concentration. A most peculiar wood, she added to herself. She opened the toad of tools and selected one. She scraped lightly at one blackened fingertip. Ophelia gave a sharp intake of breath. That hurts? Amber asked immediately. Not as humans hurt. It feels... wrong. Damaging. I think there is sound wood just below the scorched surface. Working with my tools, I could remove what is blackened. I might have to reshape your hands a bit. You would end up with slimmer fingers than you have now. I could keep a good proportion, I believe, unless the damage goes much deeper than I think. However, you would have to endure that sense of damage unflinching while I did my work. I do not know how long it would take. Ophelia's like... What do you think to the captain? And, and the captain says, I think we have little to lose by trying. If the sensation becomes unbearable, then Mistress Amber will stop, I am sure. Ophelia smiled nervously. Then a wondering look came into her eyes. 
If your work on my hands is successful, then perhaps something could be done about my hair as well. She lifted the hand to touch the long, loose curls of her mane. This style is so dated. I have often thought that if I could contrive ringlets around my face and... Oh, Ophelia, Tommy groaned as the others laughed. <laughs> so they're willing to try and Amber is going to fix Ophelia's hands. Yeah, and I think it's really fun. Again, Ophelia being Ophelia is not necessarily super serious in this moment, but really does, you know, get excited. And it almost overshadows the fact that we are learning a little bit more about live ships, that there is some sort of feeling. It's not pain. Right. I think like we had established before, it's kind of a resonance or like a remembrance of what it would be through their human. human connections. Yeah. And, but there is an overwhelming sense of wrongness. Right. And I think that's really important to talk about because it makes me go back to um, when Amber is talking to Paragon about him losing his eyes. And, he, and she asked, did it hurt? And he, without thinking, says yes and then says, no, I don't know. And so I wonder if it was like that where it's not that it hurt necessarily. There is that human remembrance of what pain is and associating like oh if i was human this would hurt right but i think more so it's that overwhelming sense of wrong and losing because we know that wizardwood is made up of the memories of the dragons right yeah so separating anything from that would feel wrong and so it's really interesting yeah. that now that they're alive that has a significant effect or maybe not significant, but it has some effect and it is something that they can feel that innately this is wrong. Amber keeps looking at Ophelia's hands and is remarking on the color and asks Ophelia that if she planed deep enough where the quote unquote stain or the color on the outside is removed, would the live ship be able to color her own hands again? And Ophelia says, I don't know. Amber then is like, okay, well, this is going to take a while. So you'll have to give, Captain, you're going to have to tell all of the crew that I'm going to be coming aboard to do this and to watch out for this disguise. Is that acceptable? And he says, I suppose so. Though it may be hard to explain to other traders why such delicate work is entrusted to a slave, or why I use a slave's labor at all. I oppose all slavery, you know. As do I, Amber replied, replied gravely, as do many, many folk in this town. Do they? Tommy replied bitterly. If there is any great public outcry about it, it has escaped me. This is where Amber can get into a second reason why she wanted to come here and make these connections, as you mentioned before. Yeah. She taps her fake tattoo lightly and says, Were you to put on rags and one of these and stroll about Bingtown, you would hear the voices of those who oppose slavery most bitterly. In your efforts to awaken Bingtown to its senses, do not ignore that pool of allies. If one were interested in, say, the inner workings of the household of the tariff minister— Willing spies might easily be found among that pool. I believe the scribe who composes his correspondence to the satrap is a slave also. A little shiver walked up Althea's spine. How did Amber come to know such things, and why had she troubled to find them out? You speak as if you were knowledgeable about such things, Captain Tanira pointed out gravely. Oh, I have known my share of intrigues and plotting. 
I find it all distasteful and necessary, just as pain is occasionally necessary. She says hold steady to Ophelia. I'm going to take off the worst of the damage now. There's a tiny silence followed by a dreadful scraping noise and charred wood powdered away. Ophelia makes a tiny noise but doesn't move. Her jaw is set. And so Captain Denira turns to Althea then and asks her about the message. Right. So just going back a little bit there. When I first read this section, I think I thought that Amber was saying that there are more people than you realize that don't want slavery, which is what she's saying. But I thought that that meant in a way like non-slaved people yeah, of the too. different class. Yeah, basically. they're they're just being quiet right now. You just mm-hmm. don't hear them because it's hard to speak out. But I realized on a like subsequent read through, she's talking specifically about slaves. Yeah. The slaves hate slavery. So sure, nobody else is being vocal, but you at least have a whole pool of people who are very capable who also don't like slavery right. and you can use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Which, Which is a great reminder because like even as you and I think I did too on the first read throughs, we're like, oh, there's other people who don't like slavery that Captain Tanira can go to. That's great. Who yeah. are these families? I know <laughs> yeah. it's literally Amber pointing out everyone here doesn't like it except for the people using the slaves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting because it does like if you're not paying attention, you do the same thing as these characters are doing. Right. You don't recognize the slaves as people that would also be capable of having thoughts and opinions against or for slavery. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to be reminded of, oh yeah, there are also people who can act in this way. And I think that's really well done in this, especially because as she keeps going, it, it gets clearer that she means the slaves and that you can use those slaves as spies if you know how to support them and talk to them correctly. And yeah, I don't know. I just found that really well done and really interesting. And I also like that there's that hint again to this being the fool by talking about how they know a lot about espionage and uh, the politics of getting people to do things behind the scenes to get things done. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes necessary, because obviously in the last trilogy, that's what happened with Fitz. Yeah. And the fool was at the center of all those information gathering things. And, you know, I think had as many spies as, <laughs> as Chade did. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. I do wonder if the fool had their own network or just kind of like. I think knew some people and just asked questions, you know. Yeah. 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 Was at the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah, with uh, like, oh, what's her name? Like Garitha or something that that made in the castle. Oh, yeah, castle in the kitchen that- that's. Yeah. Like obsessed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Captain Tanira turns to Althea and asks about the message that she would have relayed to her mother. Althea pushes aside an emotion that was close to shame. I did. I'm sorry I do not bring much that is of great comfort. My mother said she would speak to my sister Kefria. She is legally the traitor of the family now. Mother will urge her to attend the next council meeting and to vote in support of your actions. I see, Tanira replied. His voice was carefully empty. 
I wish my father were still alive, Althea added miserably. I could wish that you were a traitor for the Vestrits. Truly, you should have inherited your family's ship. Althea revealed her deepest wound. I do not know if Kefria can stand beside you at all. A stunned silence followed her words. She kept her voice even as she added, I do not know how she can side with you and still support her husband. The increased tariffs are based on the satrap protecting trade from pirates, but we all know it is the slave trade he cares most about. He never bothered about the pirates until they began attacking slavers. So, if the issue comes down to slavery, and she must take a stance, she... Kyle is trading in slaves, using Vivacia as a slave ship. I do not think she would oppose her husband in this. Even if she does not agree with him, she has never had the will to set herself against him in anything. Then, no, Ophelia gasped. Oh, how could they do such a thing? Vivacia is so young. How will she withstand all that? What was your mother thinking to allow this to happen? How could they have done that to their own family's ship? Greg and Captain Tanira were both silent. A stony look of condemnation settled over the captain's face while Greg looked stricken. The question hung in the air, an accusation. I don't know, Althea replied miserably. I don't know. So, I just want to quick say, I think this is one of the most damaging parts of the secret of what a live ship is to Kyle. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. you know, a little crazy. But, like, Kyle's whole deal, essentially, is that he wants to be a live ship traitor so bad he wants he the wa- prestige he right? wants that prestige yeah he recognition. wants recognition he wants the connections that come with that he wants to be able to trade up the Rainwild river but he wants to be able to say he saved his family from you know poverty and the brink of starvation yes because of his trades you know he and yeah and i think him refusing number one to listen when a woman tells him about the secrets is absolutely his fault and him being ignorant but the fact that it is so hush-hush about how live ships work and the fact that they're alive and they feed on emotion, I feel like that is something that could be public knowledge. It, I mean, I guess that could be used against the traders. Right. But the fact that that isn't common knowledge and he makes that mistake, he unknowingly, if this were if this were a different book and it was successful, he successfully trades in slaves and comes back, he has just made an enemy out of every live ship yeah so there goes the prestige and greatness about being a live ship trader even though he can't go up the rain wild river Mm -hmm. and even if he did he is now previously someone who let a live ship be a slave trader and i don't think that's gonna go over well with the people who know the secrets up the river (laughs) so like that's not really gonna make him very trustworthy which again like these are all choices that kyle made And he did have a chance to ask questions and they told him it wasn't a good idea. But also... Yeah, his choice not to listen and the culture he was raised in made him not listen to anything else besides a man's voice, which there were none. Yeah. But yeah, also... (laughs) The fact that, like, it was never explained to him that Captain Vestrit himself didn't come over and 
explain how live ships work once his son-in-law was part of the family. Like, this isn't a recent marriage. He has been married to Ketrikin. Sorry. Oh, my God. Kefria. <laughs> Thank you. He has been married to Kefria for over 10 years. Like, what? Wintrow's 15. So probably like 16-ish years. Yeah, Wintrow's like, I think 14, right? I think he, maybe, may, he might be faith. He might I be 15. Yeah. yeah, but like at most, we're going to say 16 years of marriage, right? That's not a short amount of time. That isn't recent. Right. So the fact that it was never told to him, he never got to know any of the secrets from Efren himself. Like that's also a failing on Efren's part. That is a failing yeah, it, on... It's just the secrecy of... The Bingtown Society, right? Yeah. They want to protect their secrets and they do so out of fear of people discovering the Rainwild Traders trying to protect them or saying they're trying to protect them. They do right. it out of fear of losing their monopoly, maybe, and also out of tradition just because it's tradition, you know? Right. And like, I don't know. I'm just thinking even whenever he took over the ship because Efren was sick. Why wasn't that the conversation then? Why wouldn't he explain, okay, just in case anything happens while you're away and I happen to die, here's how it works. Right. Like, I just, there were so many feelings, and I don't want to make it sound like poor pitiful Kyle, but a little bit poor pitiful Kyle. Like, it doesn't, it just, I don't know, I just don't like. He wasn't set up to be successful at no. all. Like, he didn't have any of the tools necessary, and he didn't want to learn some of those tools granted and we're not trying to defend him even though we have done so in the past yeah it's just that he didn't have everything he needed to succeed even if there were no pirates in this situation right and i think that's the important point to remember that like unfortunately for the vestrits even if kyle would have been successful in this run it would have been ostracized yeah he has ruined his reputation in bingtown and how how is that going to help the family, even if they do pay their creditors? So, I mean, I guess some of the old traders might not look so down on it as Tanira does. Right. But it, still. But it's not a great look. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a smear on it for sure, on his reputation. Yeah, I think it really just is another thing to look at of like, wow, things have really changed. And sure, in this group, it's like a big deal. And how could he have done that? How could they make that decision and do that to a live ship? But that's pretty big from the people who are gatekeeping the information to begin yeah. with. Like, <laughs> I mean, even Amber there, who is probably staunchly, we probably, we know is staunchly against slavery and the slave trade in yeah. general, is probably sitting there like, so slaves affect live ships more <laughs> like, yeah like, <laughs> she's right. just sitting there like what <laughs> like even if you don't think slavery is good it's still like well yeah slavery is bad but why would that be extra bad on a live right ship? like yeah. that doesn't make sense and that's the point like i just i don't know it's not like somebody it's not like efren himself put the slaves on that ship knowing right. what was gonna yeah. happen and i i don't know it just is such a it's so interesting to see that like shame. They're like so disappointed in the Vestrits. And I mean, Althea herself is disappointed and they yeah. should be like, it's not oh, a yeah. good choice. It's not morally correct, but it's also really like, if you think about it from the side of the, or the fact of the matter that 
this is something that Kyle wouldn't have known anyway. <laughs> like, it's pretty judgy <laughs> for that reason. And right. I don't know. And maybe Kefria doesn't understand from that point of view either. Maybe she doesn't quite grasp how bad for the ship it would be. And maybe Ronica doesn't either. I don't think Ronica's family has a live ship, her like maiden family, from what we can tell. She's from, I think, an old trader family, but that doesn't mean that they had a live ship. So maybe she doesn't quite know either. And it's just Efren and Althea who knew. So I don't know. I just, I thought that was something to bring up here. Yeah. Interesting. Well, obviously, the Sneeras are very against everything that the <laughs> Vestrits have done for the past two years. Yeah, it's not great. Um, <laughs> I do feel a little bad because if this were not the book that it was, it could potentially affect Althea's ability to marry Greg. Although, I guess I she's a completely different so. person, yeah. and I think that they could overlook. But like, I mean, he already says, like, I wish that you were the traitor for the Vestrits. Yeah. You know, so... I don't think so. Yeah. But it is, would they want to tie themselves to the Vestrid after hearing that? You know what I mean? Right. Which is what marriage is for them is like a contract between families. So I think there's that aspect too of like, oh, this like potentially could have been damaging to her prospect, which again is something that Kyle did, would not have wanted, but he stuck his own foot in his mouth again. Yeah. Then so. there's a the whole thing about Kefria that Althea talks about as well, yeah. how she's not going to stand up to her husband or has never stood up to her husband about any big decision, which is true. And speculation, if it came down to that, I don't know if she would for this either. Yeah, it's really, I don't know, like who Kefria was when Kyle left she absolutely would have just done the right thing and voted without him. Even though she would have felt bad about it, she would have understood. But who she was the last chapter we saw her, way less convinced that she would make that vote. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's so tough to say. I know, but it is really interesting that even Althea, who sees her sister like once a year, maybe twice, knows that Oh yeah, it's Kyle or nothing, which again, probably stems from like, the whole thing that happened to her on board ship mm -hmm. and being taken advantage of and her sister going straight to her husband instead of helping. And I don't know. It's sad. And well, helping, but calling her names and then telling her husband afterwards. So he knew as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it's a situation that's really hard. And I do feel bad because obviously like Althea knew things were bad and didn't like how Kyle would run the ship, but I don't think Althea thought that he would do this. No, yeah. This was not in the discussion. No. It so. wasn't even in her realm of possibilities, I don't think. so. Yeah. So that's just something that's like definitely something that would be hard for her on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. And now they're, you know, thinking about Vivacia. But hey, it does, it does have a good message to like root for her to get the ship back <laughs> and does give her a stronger case of like I would be a better live ship captain because I know not to put slaves on a live ship <laughs> so I think the Taniras would already vote for her <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> but I think this gives them more of a like way to right be an excuse yeah. to be like yeah I vote for her too bad that never goes no I know sad 
Well, thank you for tuning in for this chapter, the last two episodes we had on it. If you have any questions or thoughts or theories, or just want to discuss some of the characters in these books, please let us know. You can email us and let us know what you're thinking at isfitshappy at gmail.com. You can message us on any of our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, YouTube, all of those. <laughs> just message us wherever you want, whatever your thoughts are. Let us know how you're feeling. You can also go to isfitshappy.com and find all of our links to our socials in there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, see you next time. Okay, so this week's little special interest zone <laughs> is going to be all about Ronica and something you guys have told us about Ronica. Is that a weird intro? I don't know. I'm trying something different. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start first with a comment on Facebook that we got from last episode by Ellen. And this comment is talking about how Ellen doesn't necessarily think that Ronica changed views per se, but yeah, mainly when we were talking about, Oh yes, yeah, Sorry. Context is important. Yes. When mainly when we were talking about how Ronica seemed to be softening towards her views of slavery and just her hard stance. And it was just like, well, if it saves our family, then like, maybe that's fine. That sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Because it was a, a like we talked last episode about how it is kind of a weird change from, before the Cuprises had come, she was literally arguing with Kefria over Malta's head about slavery. Right. And then as soon as Althea's there, a week, a month later, we're not really sure how much time, she's like, well, maybe slavery isn't that bad. So it kind of felt abrupt. But Ellen talks about how she doesn't necessarily think it's a change in opinion, more as more so than it's falling back into pattern. Yeah. Um, this is Efren's quote, Efren's daughter that has come back. And, and Ronica says as much that like you lie with your father's tongue even. <laughs> yeah. And so like, there's probably just that habit of defending Kefria from her sister and also just kind of putting up that front, I guess. And having somebody to rely on and to open up to about things. Right. Ellen mentions that she can't really speak about those things or talk about those doubts to Kefria, really, right? Yeah, or anybody else. She, yeah, she doesn't want Kefria to take that as slavery's okay because she's having doubts. So I definitely like that point of view of here is Ronica just being like, oh, finally somebody I can actually like soundboard off of that is going to think deeply about it and right. push back if I'm wrong and not. Yeah, I don't know. So I I like that point of view. I don't necessarily know if I 100% agree, right. but I do. Ellen goes into it a little bit yeah. more to say expounding or deepening or I think we slightly voiced something of the this opinion that around her, Ronica is seeing examples of people being well off once they accept slavery. Yeah. And Ellen goes into it saying that Ronica is going through a lot of struggles, a lot of hardship right now and sees those things. And so, yeah, those doubts could be creeping in, even if she has not really changed her views at all. But having that somebody to soundboard off of and just kind of, what if it isn't that bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, sure, it's bad for the people, but like that doesn't affect me in any way. And if it saves my family sort of deal, which I think is 
a good point that like she's coming from a point of view of like she says the whole like the whole chapter that we are with her or the whole section of the chapter that we're with her my family first right i really don't care if it what happens as long as my family is okay and i think that has just gotten to like such a big point that she's even starting to go back on her own morals in a way where it's like sure that's bad and i don't agree but I care more about what happens to my family than I do about some rando that like <laughs> owes taxes or whatever, <laughs> however they got into slavery. I don't even know if the people know how people get into slavery. Cause like, I know criminals can be turned into slaves, but it also feels like criminal is like a very loose term in Jamalia and Chelsea. Well, yeah, it is because we, we get some examples, right? Some of the map faces are violent criminals or people who didn't have great dispositions and were passed from one order to another. But some of the artisans and things just had masters who couldn't pay debts and they had to sell off their workers, basically. Yeah. Like the uh, the traveling troupe of like minstrels and performers and things like that, that I think, I think Kenneth freed yes. at one point. They were just part of like a theater performance and then that person... The owner went yeah, bankrupt. The owner went bankrupt. And so they got sold into slavery. Which like, can you imagine you go into work one day and well, the, the satrap, CEO. The satrap kind of like said, the owner's in, uh, going to be bankrupt. Well, I need to send a gift to Chelsea anyways. So let's just grab these guys. Yeah. But I mean, so like it's kind of a special deal, but still. But still like, <laughs> no, I don't think it is a special deal. I think it's somewhat normalized. It was at this a special point. deal for them. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But, like, just imagine, like, you didn't even do anything wrong. You didn't not pay your taxes, but the CEO of the company didn't pay the taxes. So you are now a slave and Mm -hmm. you have no, like, and now for the rest of your life, you're never going to be a free person again. Like, that's insane. And so I just, I do wonder if the people in Bingtown realize that that is also part of slavery. Or if they're all just criminals. Yeah. Or if it's (laughs) one of those things where, like, they're not around it. It's not happening in Bingtown. So... For all they know, it's all people who did something that meant that they needed to be a slave. They deserved it in some weird way. Right. I mean, I'm sure people rationalize it like that. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. But definitely like a sad thing to think about. Yeah. But again, uh, Ellen isn't arguing for Ronica changing her whole views. It's just kind of having someone to open up to with Althea's return. Yeah. And I definitely like that point of view. So thank you, Ellen. And then we're going to talk about something that Jonas brings up, which is also about Ronica to begin with. And it's about how Ronica is kind of using a very weak excuse when she says, my family first. Like, yeah, what, what can, can I do? What can I do? When Althea says, we have to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just one person. And Jonas points out that Ronica is a super strong woman who is very stubborn and gets a lot of things done outside of society's expectations when she puts her mind to it. Like she has been in charge of the Vestrit family finances on her own as a woman in a society that is largely changing to only men being in that field. And that has never stopped her from getting a deal or working with creditors or doing what needs to be done to protect her family, I guess. Um, But in general, just to do whatever it is that she thinks needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Like even when it came to her own husband, she didn't let her husband saying, no, Kyle isn't a good fit. Stop her. She 
got it done. She persevered. And so for her to lamely say... Despite all common sense. Yes. <laughs> for her to lamely say, well, I'm just one person. What could what could I do? It's yeah, dis- ju- disingenuous. Yeah, Jonas is saying that there is a lot she could do. Now, it would be fair if... She said, I don't have any effort to put forward to that and all of my focus is on my family. Sure. But just saying I can't do anything is misleading, as as you said, disingenuous. So Jonas is just kind of like, yeah, I'm not really judging her for it, but the way she words it is awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just I think it goes back to this sort of culture in Bingtown that we keep seeing come up over and over again that is very self-centered, that is very my family first and then everybody else. And that's why they're in the, like the whole city is in the place that they are now because people are so worried thinking about themselves. They didn't think about the damage to society they were causing by not joining hands and stopping things. So I thought that was a really good point. And thank you, Jonas, for bringing that forward. And then Jonas also talks a little bit about Chalced and more of just musings of wondering what the common person in Chalced thinks yeah. and acts like. We had talked a lot previously, not just in the last episode, but uh, in other episodes as well, that Chalced is very black and white. And Jonas says that here too. That's kind of what he thought in his first read-throughs. Mm-hmm. And that is what we get, except most of our point of views to Chalced are the black side of that, of the black and white. They are the evil people, the people that are pushed to hunt for dragon parts. They're the people, you know, stealing bee and killing people from the, the, uh, Withy Woods, you know, all these like terrible things and the soldiers and, and the Duke and all of this awful thing. But that's just people in power in the city that right. we see. I mean, yeah, and this wasn't brought up in Jonas's examples, but it made me think of... Kerf? No, I was no. going to say Burek's oh, grandmother. Oh, Burek's grandmother, yeah. Because she was raised in Chalced, and she... Maybe. We, it's very ambiguous. She was a slave in Chalced, and presumably born in Chalced, but we don't know if either she was or if Burek was as well. Yeah, um, quick tinfoil hat theory. Bjork's grandma is an old trader family and Bjork has a live ship somewhere that he has some <laughs> entitlement to. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that is a very big tinfoil hat theory with no evidence whatsoever. No, not at all, but hear me out. Maybe they're Ludlux. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's Kenneth's cousin. You never know. <laughs> I think I can safely say I know that that is not true. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. You know what? Robin Hobb cannot confirm nor deny because she doesn't listen to us as far as we know. So <laughs> I don't know. Just a fun little theory I had. <laughs> but she could be. She could have descended from people, though, from yes. the Rainwilds or, yeah, sure. or from sure. the Pirate Isles because we know that people um, get abducted all the time to become slaves in Chalced. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if she wasn't born there. But either way, I just meant all that tangent to say she seemed to be a pretty decent person. I mean, a little problematic in some of the ways that she handled Burek as a child, but doing the best that she could as a freed slave that 
didn't want her grandson to dabble in this magic that she didn't understand. Right. So I don't know. I think that's interesting. And she didn't teach Burek that men are better than women. So I don't know. That's something. <laughs> so not every Chalcedian that we know is bad. But Jonas here is talking about people like that. People that are just in villages that are running around and kind of filling in his imagination around all of the things that we've heard. Yeah. And saying like, yeah, they probably all go to the market together and sell stuff. There's probably children of uh, boys and girls on the farm helping out. You know, it's just, it's not everything that we see. And he wants some more of that. Yeah. It's a little bit more of Chalcid. Yeah, I definitely am curious as well about Chalcid and how things work there, what their culture is like. I do think it's interesting too. This is not something Jonas brought up, but we do know that being gay is somewhat okay in Chalcid. Um, at least in the next in the Rainwild Chronicles in that trilogy. So not next trilogy, but the trilogy after. Um there's that gay couple that like the one dude's married to what's her name? The scholar. Um I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like a huge oh, in town. Yeah. Mean? Hest. Hest. Yeah. Is that and her? Alice? Yeah. Is Hest the husband? Yeah. Okay. Hest. Is he Chalcedian or he just no. knows? Okay. He's in Bing. He's a Bingtown trader yeah, family. But he trades with Chalcedian and he goes to Chalced all the time and takes his boyfriend with because they go to the male brothels and like that's a big point of like he's I don't remember that I mean I remember the trips like the trading trips or whatever thing but I don't remember the part about Chalcid yeah so there's like a whole thing in there about how he takes his boyfriend to Chalcid because being gay there's okay and like he can like hang around the guy and it won't be weird and so I think that's a really interesting aspect that has not been talked about outside of that or explored at all that like it's chill for people like women are second class citizens, but like gay being gay is okay. Well, because men are the greatest. So I if guess. you love men, obviously. very Roman and yeah. like <laughs> But I just I think that's an interesting thing too, right? Because like that's not a negative. I don't know. I just it does really yeah. open up the door to There's thinking. other aspects of their culture that we just haven't experienced. Yeah. I don't know. So I thought that was really interesting. And that is Another thing that got brought to mind from Jonas is talking about how he's really interested to know more about their culture. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you, Jonas. And thank you, Ellen. And thank you, everybody else who writes in. Um, we... One last topic to talk about, oh, actually, before sorry. you close it up here. Uh, we're a little bit late on this, especially when you're going to be hearing this. But there is news in the realm of the elderlings for a new book that is yeah. being written, actually. Robin Hobb on Facebook just kind of casually dropped at the end of a an update of saying like, hey, my garden's doing pretty well. Weather's <laughs> really hot here. Um, also, I'm writing a book about B. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't contact me on Facebook because I don't read the comments. Just email me. <laughs> so and not from a Gmail because that comes as spam. So I can't reply. So it's just like a, a really winding update. And then all of a sudden at the end, it's just like, yep, I'm writing a book. So we have confirmation that she is continuing in the, the realm of the otherlings and yeah. currently is writing a book about B. And we don't know much about it or anything about it. We know previously 
before COVID-19 kind of hit the world, she was writing a book and I think had a full outline and was starting on a draft. I don't remember where I heard that. I feel like I remember hearing that though. And it was focused on B, but she was doing research into how animal diseases transferred and jumped to humans, specifically around, we're guessing, dragon parts being eaten and things like that. And she scrapped that because of the world pandemic thought it may look like she was cashing in on something that was a tragedy. I think she tweeted about it. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure in like 2020, 2021-ish, she was tweeting about the book that she had to scrap because of a disease being the main focus. Now, before that, there were potential rumors, and now I don't even know if this was ever confirmed by Robin Hobb, but it seems to be talked about in a few fandom places in general that she was considering writing or had a maybe a brief idea of a story about Patience and Lacey adventures, like prequels, but I don't think that went anywhere. So the last we heard was the bee disease kind of continuation of the story that was scrapped. But now we have confirmation that she is writing about B, and we don't know if it's that same story or if a new idea has sparked. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I think, oh, it'll be weird because obviously we can't read it until it comes out. And so like we're a spoiler podcast under the assumption that everyone has read all the books. So I don't really know how we're going to tackle that when that happens. We'll do a bonus episode of reading it first time reactions. And then <laughs> when we come to it, we'll just keep continue reading. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, see, that's an issue for us. Robin Hobb, yes, keep writing, but... That's another like two years tacked on at the end of this podcast. <laughs> you guys are already going to be sick of us. We've been doing this for what, three years? We got another 10 to go at least. And now we got news that's maybe 12. <laughs> so maybe that's good news for you guys, but <laughs> we don't mind. We like doing this. It's a fun hobby for us. But yeah, uh, we're excited to see updates on that. I don't expect any more news about that for another at least two or three years. And that would be just news of like, oh, it's coming in another two years. So I don't expect the book to come out for five years or so. She mentioned that she's writing very slowly. We know that she has arthritis, I believe. Yeah. And she can't do speech to text. She's written about that in interviews and things like that, that it just doesn't work with her writing process. She physically types it out. Yeah. So good luck, Robin Hobb. Yes. Um, We're all rooting for you. And yeah, thanks, I guess, to all of our listeners for Mm -hmm. listening. And hopefully you guys are just as excited as we are for the potential of new books. Woohoo!